If you enjoy this podcast, please like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and visit our website at lifebetweenthevines.com. Now, when I came out here, I thought I would be the one picking grapes. I had no idea the amount of labor involved. And you just get an appreciation for just how hard it is. Um, and it's often really cold those nights when you're picking grapes and you leave sticky and exhausted. But you know that's just the beginning. Discovering and tasting wine shouldn't be a homework assignment. And we believe that the people who are closest to wine have the best stories. So open a bottle. And welcome to podcast number 531. This week we feature Joe Nielsen, Director of Winemaking at Ramsgate Winery in the Carneros AVA of Sonoma. Our first interview with Joe Nielsen was by phone back in June of 2020 a time when travel was just not happening. Joe is director of winemaking at Ramsgate Winery in the Carneros AVA in Sonoma. This time I visited the winery in person and it was certainly an enjoyable experience. Every interview is a wine education for me. I hope the same for you. Listen to Joe on our Vino Lingo segment defining the term verve. Well, I'm back in Sonoma, and it's really good to be here, especially at Ramsgate Winery with Joe Nielsen. Joe, how are you? Doing well. Good to see you. Likewise. Uh, and for the first time, I can't say again, although you were in a previous podcast, 380-something a couple years ago. Yep. But that was by phone, and that was, of course, I think probably deep in the heart of COVID country. Yes, yeah. And uh, thankfully, for the most part, we're not really dealing with that as we were. Yeah, not too much. Yeah, that's good, and especially for tasting rooms and people in your industry. Yep, for sure. A really unique space. You're in the, I'm guessing I would call it the southwest corridor of Sonoma. Is that right? Southeast. Is it really southeast? Yep. Okay. I mean, um, Napa's, I can see Napa from here and can see Marin County. Not like, kind of assuming over that hill. Sure. Is Marin. Yeah. I just, you know, when you're here, you kind of, because of the mountains, you get your directions thrown. So there we go. I occasionally, I know what I'm talking about, but not too often. It's okay. So it's a really neat space because you're up on this hill. It's kind of uh, got this incredible view. You're right by the San Pablo Bay Mm -hmm. and uh, it's a, to some degree, a road less traveled for tons of tourists, but yet plenty of people come through here. And it's the main entryway into both valleys, really, from this part. Of yeah. The, yeah. So it's a great area to come to. Totally. Yeah. Good to be here. Yeah. All right. Glad to have you. Yeah. Thank you. So you also, uh, what we were talking before the interview, you said you're now general manager as well. And that's about a year ago? Yeah. Just about a year ago. For my thinking, you know, winemaker, you've got plenty going on. Simply general manager all the operations here? Yep. What, what does that encompass? That includes, yeah, kind of uh, the buck stops with me when it comes to sales, marketing, distribution, finance. Yeah, very busy. Yeah, I was going to say, and that's something I assume you willingly take on. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's something I aspired to um, in my recent past. Uh, did an MBA program at Sonoma State, um, and that's sort of where I assumed this would take me. Didn't necessarily know that it would happen here at Ramsgate, but I'm glad it did. And how how long have you been a winemaker here? Uh, five vintages now. Wow. Time flies. Yeah, it sure does. How many vintages overall do you have under your belt? Uh, good question. Uh, uh, several. Yeah? yeah. <laughs> 15, 16, wow. 17, somewhere yeah. around there. You don't look that old. No. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it started early. So right out of college, I turned 21, and that was my first professional year of winemaking, so... 
We've probably covered some of this before, but I'm going to go back over these particular sure. roads again. Was that something you had your mind set on? You wanted to be a winemaker? I decided early on in college that that, that was the route I wanted. I didn't know necessarily how that was going to look. Um, at Michigan State University is very ag-focused, so I thought growing grapes was going to be something I would be doing whether or not that included the winemaking part, I didn't know. So my first short stint right out of college was actually uh, more focused on vineyard management. Um, and that's all I've ever, since then, that was probably a couple of weeks. It didn't work out. But um, for the last 15, 16 years, it's just been just winemaking. Are you from Michigan originally? I am. What part? Middle part of the state, um, near the capital, Lansing. Oh, nice. A lot of wine being grown, not necessarily in Lansing itself, but outside there up in... Yeah, uh, in northern Michigan. Sure, Traverse City. Traverse City. Didn't grow up around it, didn't have any exposure to it, just uh, read it in a book, the old-fashioned way. Yeah, sure. Now, though, in your role here in Sonoma, um, do you ever check out the wines up there just out of curiosity since it's your home state? Uh, occasionally. I, I mean, with COVID, since we've talked, I haven't had a whole lot of time uh, to go back and explore, but I still stay in touch and kind of keep an eye on things. We actually have an intern that uh, joined us in 21 who was from the Midwest, and she's now making wine up in Traverse City. So it's nice to put an implant backwards back into the state of Michigan. That's great. Well, I'm just giving back. Yeah. Yeah, good for you. So here at Ramsgate, couple things I wanted to sort of talk through. How many acres are you farming here? Right now, we only have 27 acres. Uh, The property itself is 135 acres, so we do have room and and thoughts of expansion, but at the moment, it's just 27. Sure. It's kind of funny to me, though, when you say 27 acres. For those of us who have actually seen what 27 acres looks like, it's still a lot of work. It sure is. One acre is a lot of work, but it's just a the scale changes. Right. There's a focus, I mean, yeah. to know what you're going to do exactly. Now, you know, I kind of pigeonholed you last time by saying Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, which I'm sure you hear all the time, but you guys do a lot of different wines here. Tell me about what you're making these yeah. days. I mean, I think Ramsgate is uniquely positioned, as you kind of stated at the beginning. So we're right off a, a main corridor coming into wine country. So from the very beginning of the business, uh, starting in 2011, I, I do share the same value that we have an opportunity to, to engage and introduce people to wine sometimes. Not every customer walking in the door is a, uh, a sommelier or uh, an expert. So uh, I think that creates a little bit of a soapbox for us to make interesting wines that are compelling, um, but it doesn't have to fit just the mold of being Chardonnay Pinot Noir because we are in Sonoma. Um, so. To, to piggyback on that, those are, in volume, two products that we make a decent amount of. Uh, I mean, when, when I say decent, we're only a 10,000 case winery, so we're not mm. huge. Sure. Uh, but in volume-wise, we spend a lot of time on Chardonnay Pinot land. But we also make Pinot Blanc, which is grown here on our estate property. Sauvignon Blanc, which is also grown on our estate property. Uh, my background is Rhone's. Uh, so at Donnellan Wines, made a lot of Syrah and uh, Rhone blends. Um, so I've continued that tradition here and maybe expanded it a little bit. Um, and then a little bit of Cabernet because why not? Why not? Yeah. And it does help pay bills. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Pinot Blanc, not, not a lot of people making Pinot Blanc in these parts. No, no. It's, um, a unique grape to me. It's, it, it, it's fun to look back in my career of the varieties and the categories of wines I've made. So coming out of college, Working in Traverse City, Michigan, we made Alsatian whites, 
German style whites. So Pinot Blanc is one of the first varieties I worked with professionally. Fast forward to 2018 when I came here, it's sort of a somewhat of a full circle. I'm hoping that's not the whole circle. I'm I'm still have many years left, hopefully in me. Sure, you're a young guy. Um, but yeah, it's it's a unique variety. Um, I think it actually works really well in this area. We do have. Uh, a coolish climate. It still was 111 degrees here in uh, Labor Day weekend, yeah. which was an, an crazy temp, not not common. Uh, but we do have San Pablo Bay in the morning that that really influences the temperature. Overnight temperatures here don't get quite as cold as Mid Valley of Sonoma Valley. Um, and then in the summertime, we get the nice winds from the Petaluma Gap. So it cools things down. It really extends our growing season. So you can grow a cooler climate like grape variety like Pinot Blanc here really successfully. The San Pablo Bay being so close by, about how far is the crow flies are we from it? Roughly. I can see it from Where right here. It? Right behind me? Yeah. yeah, it's right behind you. Everybody look behind you right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Just... It, it less than a mile. Yeah. Okay. So during this spike, and we were in Paso Robles recently, uh, San Luis Obispo, Napa, everybody's talking about this exact same thing, which raised havoc for a lot of people here. But with the bay being so close, did it did it make that a little less severe in any way? Yeah. I mean, the record temps that I saw during that heat spell of 22, um, 117 is is the the highest I saw from a weather station. Whether or not that weather station was, you know, in in direct sunlight with no wind and whatever, but that's the highest I saw. Yeah, that's just absolutely insane. But not here. Yeah, 111. Yeah, well, 111 is still pretty. As a a cool 111. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. Do you do sparkling here? We do a very small amount of sparkling. What kind are you making? Uh, We have two products. Blanc de Noir and a Brut Rosé. Is there any particular reason you headed into that, or are you just keeping it light? Is that for club members, or yeah, it's it's mostly a perk for membership. Um, they definitely get the first crack at it uh, each year that we bring it out. Um, but it's it's a unique product. It's not made here on site. Uh, we do partner with another company to help us, um, but a really extended tirage made in a very high end style. Um, it's refreshing and pretty. Um, but uh, of the volume what we make, we do only about 500 cases a year. Have you considered something like a pet net as opposed to a traditional sparkling? I haven't personally, no. It's an interesting halfway point. Sure. For lack of a better way to put yeah. it. Yeah. I, I I guess for me, when it comes to wine, I'm, I'm a very much a traditionalist, um, and I want to maintain some focus on what we're doing. Um, it's hard when we are making several different varieties to say this is our focus. So at some point we have to say no. Well, it's a lot to track down. Yeah. And, and you know, although I do imagine there's a certain amount of experimenting you do. Sure. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I always make the joke that, you know, winemakers tend to be mad scientists. Uh, have you ever done anything that was either a, wow, this is incredible. I'll do this again. Or <laughs> I'm not going to tell anybody about this. <laughs> Um, not necessarily. I mean, I think some of the things we're doing, uh, routinely are things that most winemakers consider wild and crazy. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we still foot stomp a lot of our red grapes for, uh, especially if we're doing whole cluster, we do whole cluster fermentations. Um, we do mostly native. In fact, all of our red wine is natively fermented. Those are some things when I go to other wineries, they're like, oh, we're dabbling with this. We did it on one lot. 
Um, but that's something we do very routinely. Yeah. Interesting. Are you fully estate or do you take grapes in from elsewhere? Yeah. Uh, so what we produce on site is only about a third of what we, uh, our total production. So yes, we do source outside of here. Um, upwards of about 24 vineyards that we work with. It's usually very small quantities from a lot of variety, mm-hmm. sort of like uh, the kitchen sink soup, um, or just often there's a lot of ingredients that goes into our chef's dishes. And I kind of feel like that's the, the same route we want to take is take a lot of very small and very specific ingredients, even if it's all Pinot Noir, but each clone and topography and soil types to me are all a little bit different ingredients that go into our our soup sure you're the wine chef yep for lack of a better way to put it not an unusual question i've asked owners of wineries is what uh what criteria do you come up with when you're hiring a winemaker other than the obvious but you as a winemaker what's your criteria of an owner what what do you look for when you go to work for somebody Hmm. that's an interesting question um i've gone through my life professionally well looking for mentors. Um, and I think the wine space is a unique space where lots of people from a lot of different backgrounds end up in wine, owning wineries, um, have dreams of what that looks like. Um, but not all of them grow up owning a winery or having worked in a winery or in a vineyard. So, uh, the people I've worked for professionally, uh, well, I guess that's a redundant statement. Uh, the people I have, I've worked for, uh, from the ownership perspective, typically come to it from different business backgrounds, which I find very fascinating. And I like to learn from them um, in your industry that you came from, how did you handle this situation, which is still a business equation that we need to figure out in our wine space. Um, you know, Joe Dolan sold paper. Um, the owners of Ramsgate come from very, very different backgrounds. So it's it's an opportunity for us to learn. I've only worked in the wine industry, so my view of the world is through that lens. So there's still things that I can learn to make us a stronger business. Yeah. So you were talking about Traverse City before. Did you work up there then? I did. Any particular winery you would like to mention at all? Or? Sure. I worked for Black Star Farms. Um, that was my first real full time job out of out of college. Working in the cellar or? Working in the cellar, helping out in the vineyard. Um, Another brand where, yes, the focus was on varieties that they grow in Michigan, Alsatian and German mostly. Um, But they also had a still, so brandy making and and other sort of fortification was happening there. Udavi was being produced. It was just kind of an interesting launching point for me to see that there's a lot of things you can do. Did you get involved with the distilling at all? Not really. I helped clean it. <laughs> That's That was where I was at in terms of uh, on the totem pole. Yeah. It's a fascinating area, too. Yeah. I mean, very different than wine and different than beer, but a lot of things in common with all three of them. Sure. But uh, something that would take, I, I would imagine, a lot more dedication while you're totally. focusing. Yeah. yeah, I'm on. No, that's cool. As I think I've probably mentioned you before, we did the tour of uh, the Traverse City wineries and all along the uh, western part of Michigan and yeah. they really are making some great wines up there and it's like anything else getting people to pay attention to these wines totally and this is where you came from and several other winemakers that I've met have come out here to California with that background yeah a lot of people out here are like oh where did you go to school UC Davis Fresno 
oh, Michigan State. Oh, why did you go there? Well, that's where I'm from. Um, and I think understanding the world of wine is very vast. Um, there are still critics revealing secret locations all over the world where, that have been making wine for a long time. And suddenly we're like, oh, wow, well, those are good too. I think uh, that's the beauty of a grapevine is it is uh, highly adaptable to its surroundings for the most part. I mean, there's some probably do's and don'ts, but to me growing up in Michigan and ex being exposed to that region first shows how much, how difficult it is to grow grapes there. And yeah and the challenges of making wine when it's freezing out, literally. Yeah. Uh, we, our intern was sharing photos uh, of Shady Lane cellars in uh, Traverse City, and it's snowing while they're still processing grapes. So I've kind of had that mentality of, I'm from the Midwest, you know, we know how to work hard. And by the way, that's what I, my first experience was that this is a cakewalk. That's Casey Wurzba, the winemaker at Chicago. Yeah, and her assistant, um, Madeline Vent, is, uh, or Maddie Vent, um, is uh, our alumni. Oh, cool. Nice. This particular area of Sonoma, um, I think, is, is much more unique, obviously, because it is, it's, you are actually in Carneros. This is part of Carneros. Yep. And you're, as I said before, you're near the bay. You're not far from the Petaluma Gap, are you? Nope. Uh, so the ridge to our west behind this rug mm -hmm. um, is the start of the Petaluma wind gap. But we get the benefit from that cold wind, and that's what Carneros is known for as well. Are you getting any grapes from that area at all? We do. Um, Gap's Crown Vineyard is one of our single vineyard Pinot Noir sites. Um, technically, it's both Sonoma Coast and Petaluma Gap. Uh, I was just having a conversation earlier today with our analogist about wondering if anyone is labeling it. Petaluma Gap, you know, what's the the breakdown from that vineyard? Who's calling it what? So something to think about. Sure. I've seen a couple do it. Okay. Um, and I've had some very impressive wines from that area. It was kind of a new yeah. discovery for me. So you had touched on briefly reviews and, and critics and that sort of thing. Descriptors, all this kind of rolled into one. Does any of that kind of stuff make you crazy as a winemaker? Like the third-party validation exactly. of your product? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think you can't be in this industry and, and totally be blind to it. Um, it is it is an interesting dance to walk and understand it and uh, knowing that it's both objective and subjective. I mean, any evaluation of wine is, unless you're just looking at the chemistry. Um, so I think it is, um, it seems to be less important than maybe it was 20 years ago when there was one or two voices in this space. However, I still value that feedback. I think it is good to hear uh, what Antonio Galoni has to say, what does Jeb Donick have to say, what does the, the reviewers at The Advocate have to say, spectator, et cetera, et cetera. So um, what I do like is that there has been a little bit of a prolification of this, that there are a lot of people in that space, so now you get tons of feedback. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so it's it's just part of life. I would say I don't I don't particularly like to sell our wine based on just a score. I think what we're trying to do at Ramsgate's unique and special, and we're really trying to carve our own path. Um, there's brands that when I came to Son Sonoma originally. I always wondered, why aren't these people getting these crazy good scores? These are some of the best wines I've ever tasted, 
in that category. And the winemaker and the company stuck with it and they didn't break from what they felt like was quality or exceptional. And, you know, 15 years later, now they're getting that recognition. And I think part of what we're trying to do is build history here. Mm. Um, and to me, I'm always fascinated by brands that have been around for a really long time, like hundreds of years. How do they stay relevant that long? And were they trendsetters at the beginning? Not all of them were. And then at some point along the way, people are like, well, these people have, the, you know, there's a track record here. There's consistency. Looking back 20 vintages, I can see the, the thumbprint of that winemaker on that wine and it's unique and special and people want it. So to me, there's this fine dance of do I do that uh, a, a style that is a style that I've already seen or do we make it our own? And and trying to know that line is is tricky. Well, not only that, but for winemakers who've been around for such a long time, the shelves get bigger and bigger, the competition grows. Yeah. And while competition's good, it's still, you've got to have a place on the shelf. Totally. How do you fight for that? Uh, you just got to be present. You just got to keep trying. Yeah. Um, I think success in this business, it you it's hard to buy your way to the top. You just need to put in the, the man or woman hours to get where you want to be. Um, being in distribution requires being present. You know, it requires travel, requires FaceTime, uh, uh, front of mind for media and you know just be willing to do a podcast on a Wednesday afternoon you know? just <laughs> all of the above it's important sure. I think brand building doesn't happen overnight and then someday it's there and you don't necessarily understand when did our brand become bigger than itself sure. um, so it's a challenge no matter what yeah and then there's probably established brands that say we're not there yet right. even though in my eyes I think they are yeah, I get that. Now, it seems I hear that younger people aren't as much buying wine as later generations would be millennials and I'm a baby boomer and, and yourself, that kind of a thing. Um, are you sensing that or, or is there an openness happening? Are you familiar with this idea of what's happening? Sure. I mean, I think and I'm at the front end of the millennial uh, generation um, since we were labeled as millennials. There's been this labeling that a millennial is not going to do the things that the boomers, our parents did. Um, but my experience has been there's been a, in that generation, a, a fondness for quality, a fondness for a way of life um, that seemed to come about when I got into wine as well. So it's, um, I think there's a lot of buying potential. I think how to sell to a millennial has been the the million dollar question that a lot of brands have been trying to figure out regardless of in the wine space or not um but the you know with the millennials has come the craft beer the craft cocktail the craft uh liquor there's you know and the resurgence of a lot of varieties in wine space that weren't popular 20 years ago um that are popular now whether or not it's millennials buying them or not but I do think there's a, a desire for quality in my generation that I think I see is valuable. It's just trying to tap into that correctly. 
I think that's a good point, the, the seeking out of quality, because there's sometimes debate whether quality is worth it. And I think it, people in the wine industry and wine lovers demand that quality. Yeah. Especially people who invested into sellers. Yeah. And and to piggyback on that a little bit more, the, the people I know that enjoy wine that are maybe in my age group um, may not buy a ton of wine, maybe not as much wine as the boomer in a similar space would have done, but they're going to buy a nice bottle of wine, a great bottle of wine that they're going to value potentially over the quantity. So that is still a challenge. Sure. Yeah, I get that. Do you have a mentor? Do you have one person or a couple of people you look up to that are really have been a really great influence on you? Sure. There's been plenty of mentors. Um, early on in, in college, uh, my professor in viticulture, Stan Howell, uh, uh, Dr. Stan Howell, who's passed a few years ago, um, was a good sort of first person to make me think in, in a different way. Um, he had a phrase, ask the unquestioned answer. Wow. So instead of taking someone's word for it, instead of saying, because that's what we've always done, really kind of dig into that and understand why are we doing it that way? Um, because I think once you understand that, then you can kind of break with a little bit with tradition and try a little bit variations on that theme without totally reinventing the wheel. Um, following that, uh, Tyler Thomas, who was um, the winemaker at Donnellan originally when I was hired there, um, definitely sort of developed my my brain for kind of who I am today. Mm. Um, even Joe Donnellan um, really taught me at, at Donnellan Wines. The other part of the business, the selling, the, um, you know, he there's a lot of things, one-liners that he gave me that I repeat to myself all the time. I'm not an uh, extrovert. I'm not a salesman by heart. Um, but he gave me some phrases that when I'm in a situation, they pop in my head. It makes me feel better. I can move forward. And a couple of them are, even if you make great wine and no one knows about it, then nobody cares. No. And so what, what I think a lot of brands get into the business, they want to make a great bottle of wine, and then they have inventory, and then they don't know what to do about it. You know, and, and selling wine is, um, and finding a, a voice in a market for that wine is maybe harder than it was 30 years ago when there's a thousand brands that you're not competing with. You're going to come out and say, I made Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. You should buy it. <laughs> Why? Right. Um, and, and just uh, giving me the confidence to, to be a comfortable winemaker and being able to talk about what I do. So those those three people that are, are constantly in my mind that pop in my head are, are people I think of. Um, and I have friends and colleagues in different spaces that have taught me a lot about finance and, and things that have made me the person I am today that makes me a better business person and a better winemaker. That's a great answer. Thanks. Yeah. I'm sure as a winemaker, you've been given all kinds of advice. I'm sure a lot of people love to give you advice, whether they be people in a tasting room, people at a dinner, or otherwise. What's the craziest advice you've ever been given? Um, that's a that's a tough question. Nothing stands out as like completely loony necessarily, but I think the feedback is 
why don't you make wine like this person? Why don't you make wine like this person? Or have you tried doing what this person's doing? And I think there is a lot of noise now in, in winemaking. Um, it is a more popular thing than it was 30 years ago or even 20 years ago. So there's lots of examples of wine being made. Um, I think for me personally as a winemaker, I like to hear some of that, but I want to be careful on how I steer my boat that I can't chase every wild idea. I think if a good idea is presented and it's usually coming from in my team or some close friends that are winemakers, I'll think about it, I'll ponder it, I'll maybe try a little bit here and there in my winemaking, but I think what we do as winemakers, for better or for worse, whether it's you're making great wine or you're not, changing too quickly and taking too much um, feedback to heart means that I think your style is constantly jumping around. You mean kind of like a fad type yeah, thing? Yeah, well, and yeah, totally. And so for me, I've always been attracted to wine brands that have been very consistent, mm. but very thoughtful, that have a long-term view that from this point, point A to point B, there had been a, a huge amount of evolution, but it was over a long period of time. So the the adjustments were not necessarily noticeable vintage to vintage, but maybe noticeable over 20 years. So mm. for, and I think that goes into sort of our, our brand as well, just being sustainable, being thoughtful in our approach that changing too quickly, I think, is, is a tough thing to sell. And sure. I think it's a tough thing to explain. So for us in winemaking, we're constantly saying we're just turning the dial, just mm. adjusting the treble just a little bit. You know, It's a good way to put it. I've asked you this question before. I'm sure I have because uh, it's my favorite question. And yeah. uh, if you're able to give me an answer, that's cool. If not, that's okay, too. Uh, you've done plenty of media. You get interviewed all that sort of thing with the press. What's the one question you've never been asked that you would like to be asked? There's a lot of questions that are asked constantly. Mm. Um, you know, how many gallons in a barrel, how many bottles in a barrel? Um, I think the question that people don't ask, and maybe there's a reason they don't ask, but what, what would I be doing if I wasn't making wine? And what would that be? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think um, as a child, as a kid, the career path was always really important to me. My mom still jokes about it that, you know, I thought going out of kindergarten, I had to make a career decision going into first grade. Um, <laughs> and I put a lot of pressure on myself to find something unique and special that I would really fall in love with. So somehow I did magically find that career where I get to be in a vineyard, I get to make wine. So I don't know what other career that's out there that would give me all of the things that I do in winemaking. It's, it's kind of unique. You know, we were in the vineyards earlier today. I'll be looking at spreadsheets later today in finance. I'm doing this with you now. Uh, to me, I don't think I have ADD, but I do love the changing of scenery rapidly. Um, I like to have my fingers in everything and I now have that opportunity so 
Good question. I sometimes ask myself that. I'm not from California, so if, if I moved back to Michigan, would I be making wine or would I want to be doing something else? I have no idea. It's an interesting thing to contemplate, but on the other hand, you're making wine in Sonoma. Right. Uh, life ain't bad. Life ain't bad. Yeah. No. COVID isn't gone, but uh, tasting protocols have changed uh, for the tasting room here at Ramsgate. Mm -hmm. Is this a by appointment tasting room? Can people just belly up? How does it work here? Um, I think as an industry, we've tried to move away from the idea of a, a belly up uh, approach. Um, what I'm trying to avoid as the GM of Ramsgate of, uh, and sort of maybe one of the first stops coming from San Francisco is, yes, appointment is lovely. It helps with uh, our business to know who's coming. Um, but I want to be an equal opportunist. I want people to have an opportunity to, on a whim, say, hey, you know what? I've been driving by Ramsgate. I want to come in and see what's going on. Or I, I've never tasted wine in my life. Let's try this out. It's uh, it's here. Um, so I, I don't want to put uh, the restraints on visiting us. We are open to the public. We are, we are excited to meet people every day. So I think uh, in general, the wine industry thought, you know, all these uh, reservation-only ideas were, were going to be really good. Um, I'm not a huge fan of that. I think, um, you know, some people come here to go to the Redwoods, and then they think, oh, you know, it would be also nice to, to try out some wine, and I want that opportunity to exist. So we, we, are, we love reservations, but we will uh, accommodate as much as we can. It's great. We love people being here. That's yeah. what it's about. It's about, yeah. I mean, that's why we have this space. If we didn't want people here, we wouldn't have built what we have here. <laughs> exactly. Most importantly for our listeners to learn a little bit about you and Ramsgate online, what is your website? Ramsgatewinery.com. That's a pretty easy one. Yep. Great. Well, on this uh, gorgeous Wednesday afternoon, I'm only kidding. It's actually not all that gorgeous. It's fairly... Actually, hasn't been too bad. It's overcast. Yeah. I mean, rain's coming and that's a gorgeous thing for us yeah it's that kind of thing this time of year isn't it yeah i think people don't realize that this is really into your rainy season so yeah and it's been a dry fall so yeah. we welcome as much rain as god wants to give us yeah absolutely and you could sense the dryness out there too yep. so uh joe thanks for taking the time this afternoon uh you're sure. a busy guy i appreciate it yeah no problem right. thank you learn more by visiting ramsgatewinery.com Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the podcast at lifebetweenthevines.com or sign up to our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Life Between the Vines comes to you from Fifth Floor Recording Company in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Produced and edited by Ray Fister. Our host is Kay Paskoff. Our web geek is Dan Gisha. Original music by Ray Fister. Copyright 2023.